Welcome to Back Porch Bible Studies, where friends come and talk about what the Bible says about our God. My name is Deborah Geisels, and I'll be your host on this weekly podcast. You know, it's been said that the heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. So here, we'll study to know our God, and to know Him is to love Him. So, grab a drink and settle in for an afternoon of catching up and talking about our great God. Welcome, friend, to my back porch. Welcome back to our study in Ephesians. We are right smack dab in the middle of Ephesians 1 through 3 and 4 through 6. When Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians, he writes all that we have in Christ in the first three chapters and and what it was we received from him so that we can be full up with the goodness and graciousness of God. And then in chapters four through six, Paul's going to unwrap what it looks like to live out of that fullness. So before we go any further, I want to stop here a minute, right here between chapters three and chapters four. And and I want to talk about what it is Paul's about to open up for us, because I think sometimes we hear chapters four, five, and six as, as our duty, what it looks like to be a good Christian, what it looks like to say the right things, to do the right things, to be the right person. But if we miss this point that Paul is trying to say, he, he's saying, do not pour out of empty. I, I have shared with you everything that you have. You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And when he says every spiritual blessing, he refers to the conceivable gifts of redemption that Christians receive by being made alive with Christ. He listed them out for us in so many words. He said, you are chosen before the foundation of the world. Your life matters. It's not an accident. God was thinking about you before he said, let there be light. You were chosen. He said in verse four that you were holy and blameless. Paul is writing the words of God to say that you are fit to serve and worship him. God enjoys you, especially when you come to him. It's not my own righteousness that that he's enjoying, obviously, but it is the righteousness of Christ that is mine through Christ. He says, I have adopted you into my family in his love, a father to the fatherless, not forsaken or abandoned, but adored and precious. Paul goes on to say that we are accepted in Christ, not rejected. You belong to God. In verse 7, Paul reminds us that we've been redeemed. We've been bought back and forgiven. You carrying stuff that, that you just think is too big for God? He says, I have forgiven you. He has given us the mystery of redemption. This eternal plan that he has to save you from your own wretchedness. He's made known to us. Old Testament people didn't know that. It was through the sacrifices that they could atone for their sins. But God says, I am revealing to you my eternal plan of redemption. 
He's made us, in verse 11 of chapter 1, he's made us co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? Co-heirs? We've obtained an inheritance that unless we were part of that family would not be ours. He did not leave us poor and wanting. And that promise, that promise he sealed in verse 13. He sealed it with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate guarantee. He's not teasing. When we think about what the Holy Spirit has sealed in this day and age, we, we think maybe we'll get it. Maybe we won't. Maybe it's there. Maybe it's not. But the seal of the Holy Spirit says God's not teasing. He promised it. It's yours. You can count on it. You can put all your eggs in that basket. He's got you, girlfriend. And then in verse 18, he says that we are to know the hope of our calling. It is the reason for your purpose, the hope of heaven. He says in, in chapter 3, verse 6, he said, we are partakers of the promise. What promise? The promise of salvation. We get to partake in it. He tells us in 2.10 that we are his workmanship, created for good works. Ladies, you are created with a purpose. Sometimes we feel like our lives are going in all kinds of directions and there's no real purpose. He created you for a purpose, to glorify God the Father. We are part of his kingdom, his family, and his temple. And he has done this out of his lavish love for us. According to, <laughs> he goes through all these blessings and then he reminds you, hey, this is why I did it. It was according to his kind intentions. It was according to the riches of his grace. It was according to his purpose of his will. When God granted you all these riches, they were according to the gift of his grace, according to the strength of his resurrection might, his power, his riches. God did not give out of meager means. He gave out of his riches. We've already got them. We have been strengthened according to these riches. And so Paul wants us to know that we have all of this. If you've missed any of those, you can go back to the podcast and, and listen to chapters one through three as we have worked through them. You see, we have the hope of heaven that sustains us. But girls, life isn't easy. And that's why he wanted us to know what we have so that we can move into it. And, and he's not ignorant that the life isn't easy. He says, don't lose heart. I feel like Paul had so much compassion here. From the heart of God, don't lose heart. And remember when we studied chapter 3 that the word lose heart, ekakeo, means to grow weary, to become discouraged, to be faint-hearted. It has the idea of um, turning cowardly, to give in to the influences of evil around us. It's not the same word as in 2 Corinthians 1.8, where he says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened. That barrio is another word for lose heart, to be burdened. That's an excess of, um, it, it's a physical 
state of exhaustion. That's not what Paul's saying here in, in Ephesians 3.13, to lose heart. It's not from physical exhaustion. It's from spiritual weariness. And it's easy to become weary. That's why he says, don't lose heart. And so how, how do we stay in that strength of heart where life gets tough, but we, we need to keep going so that we are not influenced by the evil that is around us? God reminds us, he says, remember. In Ephesians 2.11, he says, Therefore, remember that formerly Gentiles in the flesh, remember that you were separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth. He's saying, remember these things, not out of shame or to go back into the extreme hurt and pain of remembering our captivity, of, of being in bondage, to be enslaved by our former selves, but to remember them beca because of what God has done through them. That you can remember that, yes, at one time you were separated from, from Christ, but God brought you into the fullness of life, that you are now partakers of the promise. You were once strangers to the covenant, but now you have hope. Not a wishy-washy, maybe I will, maybe I won't hope, but a confident expectation of a thing sure to happen. But you can't remember what you don't know. That's why Paul opens this letter with all that you have in Christ so that you'll know, so that you will know the goodness of God the lavish love of God, the riches of his glory, so that you can remember them when it gets tough, when you can't see the end of the trial. And then he'll start chapter four by, by reminding us to walk worthy of that calling, even when things get tough. You see, if if we choose to forget all that God has lavished on us, and, and I say choose because it's a choice. It's a choice to remember. And if it's a choice to remember, then it's a choice to forget. So I challenge you to remember. If we choose to forget, guess what happens? We choose to work in our own strength when we choose to forget all that God has given us. We choose to reason and calculate wins and losses, rights and wrong, fair and unfair. We choose to minimize and trivialize the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our salvation. And if we choose to forget the love that God has lavished on us, we will lose heart and we will give in to those influences of evil that are around us. It's our nature. It's our culture. We'll begin comparing ourselves with others. We'll complain and worry, criticize and berate others. We'll become unforgiving, bitter, hard-hearted, greedy, and deceitful. It's our bend. It's our natural default. So if we choose to forget, we will choose to fall into the influences of evil. But let's be sure that remembering isn't just an exercise of the mind. Oh, sure, it starts there. You have to know to remember. You have to hear 
in order to remember. It has to start in your mind, but it needs to travel the 18 inches from our head to our heart. It starts with all the wonderful, lavish love of God's gifts, but it's remembering God. It isn't just the events and, and the Bible verses and the disciplines of doing what is right. We know that from what happened to the church of Ephesus. When we look into Revelations, when we go to the end of the book, we hear Jesus writing through John say, I know your deeds, O church. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate even evil men. And you put to test those who call themselves apostles and they're not. And you found them to be false. What Jesus is saying is, O church of Ephesus, O follower of mine, I see your deeds. I see what you're doing and they're all good. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. He's like, you're doing all the do. But then in verse four of Revelation chapter two, he says, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love, left, forgotten your first love. How do you fix it? Verse 5 of Revelation chapter 2 says, Therefore, remember. Remember. Remember where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds that you did at first. We need to remember what God has done for us so that we can endure to the end. And so that our endurance isn't just duty. Our endurance is out of an outflow of all that we have been given. We will love because he loved us. He loved us through that trial. He loved us through salvation. He loved us. He, he poured into your life. So remember, remember, remember who he is, what he's taken you through, the prisons he's freed, you from the waters he has parted for you. Let's put some flesh on this. In the Old Testament, we're going to look at a couple of stories of people who needed to remember. <laughs> stories, yeah. You know, as a side note, these stories of people that we talk about in the Old Testament you know, they seem so far away and, and so disconnected from who we are. Yet, if we believe what God said in Ephesians, that we were adopted into this family and that the family that has gone before us is in heaven, then some of these Old Testament people are part of our family. They're part of your history, your spiritual history. We know we've been adopted into God's family. So when we read of Old Testament and New Testament people, we are reading about our family, our family members. This is your history. These are your people. They're my people. So let's go all the way back, way, way back to our great, 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 great grandma, Sarah. Sarah forgot 
to remember God. Maybe you know Sarah. Most of us are familiar with the story of Sarah in the Bible. Since childhood Sunday school, we've read about Abraham and Sarah, her struggles with infertility and her sacrifice of her son. If you aren't familiar with Sarah and Abraham or need a refresher, let me, let me briefly share her story. You remember that early on, God instructed Abraham to leave his home for land that he would show him and that he would make him a great nation. We read in, in Genesis 12, 2 through 3, and you can turn there if you want to. Genesis 12, we're going to be bouncing around in Genesis, so, so you might want to pull it up. But in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, God says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What a great promise from God. But God tells him, I'm going to take you to a land. So let's go. Abraham, a faithful servant, obeys God, and along with his wife, Sarah, and his nephew, Lot, they head off to this land that God has promised them. On the way, they learn that there's this terrible famine up ahead. So Abraham and Sarah go south to Egypt. Now, while they're on this journey, Abraham says to Sarah, hey, you are a beautiful woman. I need you to tell everyone that you are my sister and not my wife. Because he fears the Egyptians are going to see how beautiful she is and kill him so that they will take her as their own. Here's what it says in, in Genesis 12, 11, and 13. Abraham says, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife? then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. God handed it to him, came up with a clever plan. And what a, what a guy. They get to Egypt and sure enough, Sarah goes into the palace and she's summoned before Pharaoh. She tells Pharaoh that Abraham is her brother, as Abraham instructed her to do so. And Pharaoh lavishes gifts on Abraham, thinking that he's Sarah's brother. Soon after, though, Pharaoh and his family start being affected by these plagues, and Pharaoh realizes that he's been duped by Sarah. So he tells Sarah and Abraham to get out of Egypt. Sends them off with all these treasures, with, with food and animals and servants. But he wants them out of Egypt. Okay, let's hold up a minute. Let's look at Sarah. Let's, let's think about where she is at this point in her life. She's been uprooted from her home with her husband and her nephew. And God has only told them two things. One, that they were chosen to be a great nation. And two, that they were to go into a land that he had prepared for them. God didn't give them directions. He just said, go. They went and they find themselves in a famine. No home and no food. Oh. And if that's not settling enough, no identity. Sarah's husband tells her to say she is his sister. It's true in part. 
She was his half-sister, but in that day, it was acceptable. But she was also his wife. Maybe you can identify with Sarah's life. Maybe you know what it's like to not be able to call any place home. Maybe you've faced famines in your life, times when there was nothing. Maybe it was food. Maybe it was money. Maybe it was friends. We all have famines in our lives, and you do your best to survive. Maybe, too, you've struggled with identity, lived in a relationship where they didn't know the real you. It's hard. Life is hard. But God, all this time, God is building a relationship with Sarah. He didn't just say, trust my promises and go, you'll be fine. He's building a relationship with her. He's showing her she can trust him to take care of her, no matter what the world brings or even what she does to try to make it work. God protected Sarah from the famine and provided them with a brief stay in Egypt. Oh, it wasn't the best plan, but when they were kicked out, the Pharaoh sent them packing with all manner of goods, food, slaves, and animals for their trip. God had taken care of Sarah. By all tradition, it would not have been uncommon for the Pharaoh to kill Sarah for, for lying to him and for causing the plagues in Egypt. But he would have also been in his right to have killed Abraham and all of their family. God protected them. Not only did he protect them, but he sent them out with supplies, with blessings. About 10 years have passed and still they don't have any kids. She remembers God's promise, but she's not comfortable with the plan here. She remembered that God promised Abraham that he'd be a great nation. That meant they should have children. You can't be a nation without children. So Sarah has an idea. She offers her slave, Hagar, who actually came from Egypt. Hagar was part of the bounty that they got when Pharaoh kicked him out of Egypt. But Sarah offers her maid, Hagar, to Abraham to take as his wife and to have a child with her. Now, we think that would be just terrible to encourage our husband to have an affair. But that's not what this was. Not, not in Sarah's mind. Not initially. Culturally, it was a solution to infertility. So what they did culturally was to give the husband a, a maid, and when that maid conceived and gave birth to that child, the maid would sit on the, the wife's lap and give birth through her loins. And it was to be a child that she would raise. But that's not what happened here. Sarah says to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. It is her intention to build this nation through Hagar. You can read about that in Genesis 16. Abraham agrees, but <laughs> trouble started brewing between the two women soon after Hagar gets pregnant. It's ugly. Hagar becomes bitter towards Sarah and Sarah accused Hagar of treating her without respect and authority. Hagar raises this child, and Sarah spends 
13 years watching Hagar and Abraham as they raise Ishmael. 13 years. She's still waiting for this promise. But God comes in and reaffirms his promise to Sarah and Abraham. Now they laugh. They're old. Abraham's 99 and Sarah's 89. So they laugh. In Genesis 17:3 through 8, you can read of this. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Abraham loved Ishmael. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. Can you imagine? Abraham is 99 and Sarah is 89 and God tells them you'll have a child within the next year. Sarah for sure experienced a miracle and would live to tell about it. In Genesis 21, we read, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. In Hebrews 11.11 in the New Testament, we get a picture of this from another side. It says, By faith, Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered God faithful who had promised. Sarah came to know the faithfulness of God through this pregnancy, this miraculous pregnancy. There were times that Sarah might not have known that. And there are times when we don't know that God is being faithful. That's why it's so important to remember, to remember all that he has given us and all that he has promised us and that God doesn't tease. God was building a relationship with Sarah and in that relationship building, her faith grew. Here are a few things that Sarah could remember about her God. Sarah could remember that God always delivers on his promises. You may not know all God's promises, but God does. He never forgets his promises. And we have been given these spiritual gifts as adopted children into God's family. Here's one promise that Sarah might have come to know to be true. The promise to give us strength. In Isaiah 40, 31, he says, But they who wait for the Lord, wait for the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Oh, to know the promise that God will renew our strength that he is our strength. Another promise that he made to us to protect us, he says in Isaiah 43 too, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, 
you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. Ladies, there are promises that God has given us that we need to remember, especially when it's hard, when we can't see through to the other side. Search them out. They're in your Bible. He wrote them down that if you don't know them, you can know them and you can remember. Another lesson that, that Sarah might remember is that patience is a virtue. I don't, I don't mean to belabor the point that Sarah and Abraham waited a long, long time. Actually, 10 years from the time that, they, that God had initially given the promise and they were sent out to the land that he was going to give them. 10 years later, no baby. So Sarah takes it into her own hands. Hagar has a baby. And 13 years later, Sarah has a baby. So given the pregnancy and everything, Sarah waited 25 years to see this promise fulfilled. Patience is a virtue. Sarah is a beautiful example of practicing patience in what must have been an extremely difficult and painful time in her life. Another thing that Sarah might want to remember is God's timing is always perfect. We cannot begin to fathom how and why God does things or when he does them, but we can rest in knowing that his timing is always perfect. There's another thing that we need to remember from Sarah's story is that infertility was not a punishment. Somebody needs to hear that. That infertility is not a punishment. It may seem too much, but the truth is God is bigger than us. Isaiah 55, eight through nine says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Sometimes it doesn't make any sense. We don't know, we don't understand why God is doing what he's doing. And so often we get to the point where we're like, God, I know that you are sovereign. I know that you are all powerful and that all things come through your hand to me. But God, why not this? And we lose heart and we can become influenced by the evil or the culture around us. That's what Sarah did. God, I know you can do this. I know that you're going to build a nation through Abraham and I. Let me help. But her infertility wasn't a punishment. In fact, it ends up being the foundation of the miracle God performed in her. Not many 90-year-olds get pregnant. I have one more point I want to make in the things that Sarah could remember. We all mess up. That's a given. What we don't always understand is that God doesn't hold it against us. Huh. Let me say that again. We all mess up and God doesn't hold it against us. Not only did Abraham and Sarah laugh at God when he told them they would conceive as an old couple, 
Abraham took matters into his own hands, not once but twice when he told Sarah to lie that she was his sister. And Sarah, she took matters into her hands and offered her handmaiden to her husband. She messed up and it caused quite a bit of strife for all when she did. In fact, the families of Ishmael and the families of Isaac have been at war for over 4,000 years. That's, that's intense. We mess up all the time. Well, at least I do, I know. God is not going to withhold his love or blessings because we mess up. He loves us too much to do that. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Are you holding on to some past sins that God has already forgiven? Let it go. Let it go, sister. He's forgiven you. Walk in that forgiveness. We don't all have stories. We might not all have walked with God long enough to have our own stories, but he's given us a book of stories of his faithfulness. Don't forget to remember all that you have in Christ Jesus. No matter what it is you're going through, no matter how hard, how incomprehensibly difficult it is, don't forget to remember. Ladies, God is for you. If you belong to Jesus Christ, if you have faith and hope in him, hope for all eternity, God will complete the work that he began in you. If we're going to live according to the grace and love and mercy of Jesus Christ, we have to remember. We have to remember who God is and all that he has done in us and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. We need to remember what he's brought us out of out of the land of Egypt, of bondage in our own lives. And we need to be reminding ourselves daily, not from the shame or the, the forsakenness or all the hurt that was there, but the goodness that God has brought out of it. As we yield to the Holy Spirit of God who resides in our spirit, as we surrender to him, as we allow him to control us, we experience the fullness of all that God has given us in Christ Jesus. So before we go on to Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, I want you to remember not to pour out of empty, but to pour out of full. Don't be sucked dry out of duty, but pour out of the fullness of all that you've been given. Ephesians 4 opens up with this. Therefore I, speaking of Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Girls, we've got some stories. We've got some evidence that the purposes of God are good and true and that his love for us is everlasting, that we have been fed and clothed in the riches of our inheritance that is from him. And it is out of his bounty that he gives. Paul says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of that calling with which you have been called. 
with all humility and gentleness. Of course, it would be out of humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another because Christ has shown tolerance for us in love. Being diligent, verse 3, to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So as we open up chapter four and five and six, and we look at how we are to respond to the riches and the inheritance that is in us through Christ, we pour out of full. If you don't feel full, I get it. Sometimes the harsh realities of a fallen world run over us like a snowplow, shooting fragments of our lives into a ditch. <laughs> I just picture that. A snowplow shooting fragments of our lives into a ditch. Some of the things that we remember are so big. Broken immune systems, debilitating mental struggles, bodies that just won't do what they were designed to do. We live in a world that is rejected, forsaken, disregarded. The reckless, selfish sin of another that left your heart slashed and bleeding. These are the giants we face that mock and blur the truth that we are deeply loved and chosen for a greater purpose. So we need to remember. We need to remember. We need to borrow God's stories from one another until we have a pile of our own. If you have stories of how God saved you, wiped your tears or blessed the socks off you, write them down. Rehearse them daily. And when you remember all that God is capable of, all he has done for you, taken you through, sister, friend, you will pour out of full and you will live out of love. Come back next time as we open up Ephesians chapter 4 and we see what living out of fullness looks like for the believer. Thanks for joining us this week. It's been a joy to study this word with you and I'm so glad you were here. God bless you. your perspective of our great God continue to grow, that you may be able to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. Please join us next time as we discover how we are to respond in a walk worthy of our calling. Back Porch Bible Studies is a ministry of women in Christian leadership. You can find this podcast on your favorite podcast form or go to womeninchristianleadership.com to find the many ways women in Christian leadership can help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Back Porch Bible Studies would like to thank their sponsor, the faith-based business of Millennium Metals, in business to serve Christ.